I think the best way is to just observe people a little bit. Now we all are usually sitting in our own head all the time, minding our own business, even if we're with friends. And especially if you look at these days when people actually listen to reply and then not to understand, then you see immediately when someone is talking, someone else is already formulating his next own story he's trying to, to put out there. And he doesn't even really listen to what that person is saying because there was some famous psychotherapist. He said, most people tell you actually directly how they feel on a daily basis. You just don't listen. Today's episode is brought to you by vidIQ. If you're watching today's episode on YouTube, vidIQ is the reason it made it into your feed. They are the best tool for planning and ranking your video content. Try their free account level at servedmaster.com front slash vidIQ. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author, Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. Hello, guys. We have an amazing episode of the Serve No Master Podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest, Alexander Graves, who's going to talk about being an unchained man, which a lot of it has to do with overcoming some of our emotional challenges, realizing what we're capable of, and starting to modify our lives in ways that I find very, very exciting. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Alexander. Well, thank you for having me. Very great. Thank you very much. So as I was reading your book, reading the beginning of it, it talked about like phases of darkness and talked a little bit about depression, which I find very interesting. I think that especially for men in our culture, it's very hard to talk about, even though, as we know, men have higher suicide rates, have men have higher depression. There's a lot of issues that, that a part of it is, and it's something that I'm very familiar with, is that as a dad, I got four kids and a wife. Yeah. They can all have problems. Dad can't get sick. Dad can't be scared. Dad, because dad has to be the rock. Yes. So I'd love to hear how that starts and how we can start to face these challenges. Oh, yeah. Great question. Um, or great point you bring up there. Yeah, the, there is this quote from a very famous man who always says that men have the burden of performance. We always need to perform at all times. And that might sound tough for some men, but it's also not quite accurate. I mean, you have to perform in front of, for example, your family and your wife and all of this. But you also got to have friends, brothers, with which you can bounce back and forth your own issues and ideas sometimes. And this then, in my opinion, usually helps you a whole lot. And if you see how women are usually invading all male spaces everywhere in the society, not by their own accord, but they are pushed to do so, it's tough for men these days to just be with their brothers and just talk about business, for example, or the gym or whatever they, whatever your, your shtick is. And because one thing, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, that always annoys me is when I see a group of guys and suddenly some girl comes into that group, everyone just tries to impress her. They just change their behavior completely. And I hate that because I think this is why male spaces are so important that men can just be with themselves, with their own masculine energy and just enjoy, enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because there's often this interpretation oh, if men want to be their own private space, must be doing something bad. Yeah. And I can <laughs> tell you that when I'm with my guy friends, we're doing something boring. So my wife, when she sees me, my girlfriend, she goes, yeah, I don't want to be a part of that. You know, we're talking about work or video games, things that doesn't interest her. And in the same way, 
when she goes out and spends time with her girlfriends, I never think of them. I'm like, yeah, go do it. I know that sometimes we need to be with different groups of people. So as a man, you know, I know your book is a lot about masculine energy. How can someone find, there's a lot of, we have a lot of our society, like don't have a lot of friends. We kind of get to, we, cause you can work all online now, never make a friend and become quite isolated. And there's a lot of that in our culture because there's so many people that work these massive hours at tech jobs or they're working online. And so there's more and more isolation now than ever before. So how can someone who's realizes, oh yeah, I do need some guy friends, even start that process if they're, you know, 20, 30. Yes. So this gets increasingly more difficult, at least society tells you the older you get. I think it's not true. So this is the first like limiting belief I want to kick out of people's minds. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can still always find guy friends. And the best thing is always to do this with a hobby you have. And for example, be it with cars or be it with some sort of business you, you do or online business or whatever, or even the gym. This is usually where you find other people and you're just going to focus on the guys there and talk to them. And if there are any women around, then just try to find a secluded spot with your guys where they are not around. I mean, I know this sounds a bit weird, but this is what you want. You want to have just male conversations without them around. But this brings us immediately to the first, uh, to the next issue. Most guys these days, they don't actually have any hobbies. Like when they, yeah, when they get 30, they, they are married, they have children and mortgage in the house. They sort of give up on life. Like people tell me literally, oh, I'm 30 now, my life's over. Like, what are you even talking about? It's like a third of your life <laughs> you lived so far, if that. So what the hell? And they virtually give up all their hobbies. And I did this in the past actually myself. So I know exactly how, how the guys feel. I made all the mistakes. And the key thing is to just think back to what you liked doing in the past. And if, for example, like in my case, I was always big in, in fast cars. So if you then need money, for example, to come back to this, you're on the right podcast for that. <laughs> because hobbies are always expensive, right? But this is, in my opinion, one of the easiest and best methods to find other guys you can talk with, especially because you then have a shared, yeah, shared topic. You, you can carry on with and if that doesn't work do then just call up your guys and make a group i actually have a whatsapp group on my phone with my friends only the guys and we meet up sometimes for whiskey and cigars and no women allowed and i know it's tough to say this in this uh, woke society but uh, that's what you need <laughs> so it's interesting because i remember when i was a kid and i saw my dad he was a workaholic and i said i'll never be like that of course it was wrong i work all the times i love it but i would always try and give him hobbies like i bought him a ship and a bottle or i would give him all these different things and he was always like he didn't like it <laughs> and i think that's it it's like you can't i think that's the challenge as you like i remember the first day in college they're like here's a thousand clubs try them all and you're trying to figure out what you like and then as you get older you kind of get set in your ways and you don't want to try new things or figure out what your hobbies are and so i think that is very interesting because that was going to be my next question is that how can someone go make a conscious effort? Let's say someone goes, okay, you know what? Step one, I need to get a hobby. How do they do it? Like, what's the process? They don't have any idea what they like. Oh, yes. So there are many ways to actually find that. And the easiest one is to imagine a scenario of the world where there is no money. Just money just doesn't exist. It will always be fine with whatever you have to do. And imagine a scenario 
that nobody is watching you what you do, what would you then do with your life? Like if nobody would judge you, nobody would care, if you wouldn't create anything for anyone and there would be no money involved, what would you like to do? And for most men, this is also something they, at least in part, did in their past, like before they got married and all of this, because for many men, this is sadly the issue. When they find the woman, they drop all these things. And just thinking back, what was it you liked doing there? And the next issue then usually comes for most guys. They are so set in their ways with their, with their marriage and their family and whatever. They are afraid to even have to talk about taking time for themselves because they think they need to be, need to be dead and need to be the husband. But they always forget they also need to be themselves sometimes. You need to be whatever your name is, whoever is listening right now. You need to be that person also, not just the husband and the father or that guy your friends know even. You need to be yourself and you need to focus on that sometimes. And people think that is selfish or narcissistic even, but it's not, not at all. It's just healthy and I think it's human to do things you enjoy doing. And as I said, think back about something you did in the past or you would have liked to start, for example. That also works. And if nobody would be watching, what would you be doing with your life? And this question usually brings up ideas. And even if you don't have them on my blog, for example, I have a, a post about manly hobbies. I call them manly hobbies, of course, yeah, because you can't decide what you think is manly. But these are just like a list of, I don't know, 50 or 60 things usually guys do. Just use that to some, like, to get an idea. And then you can iterate on that. Okay. Because definitely, you know, I think about my life. I've been married for quite a while. I've got four kids. And the majority of my time is either I'm working, which I love, talking to people that I work with, doing podcasts like this, which I love, or spending time with the family. Even most of my hobbies, like surfing or paddleboarding or kayaking, most of the time I'd rather do it with one of my kids with me. So one of the things at my phase, and this obviously each phase in life we have, it's different, is I'm at the phase where like when the neighbors invite us over, we go somewhere, it's me and my wife. And we meet this other couple and I meet this other husband and we don't want to be friends with each other. Like, yeah. we just don't. Like, we already have our friends and so we go, you know, and it's this, you know, we're her friends, which is fine. But that's something, you know, I thought that was just on sitcoms, but I'm at that phase in life and I'm like, it's okay, but I don't really want to be there. Like, I wouldn't have chosen to go there and he wouldn't have chosen to meet me either. We don't want to meet new friends. We're like two strange dogs that don't want to be friends. So I guess it is that thing of figuring out how much time to a lot. And for me, I know that I do have to spend sometimes alone because I sometimes need to decompress or talk about things that people don't understand. Yeah, And that can be a challenge. I think, especially in our side, you mentioned that there are men's spaces and women's spaces. And a lot of my audience is female. And I know for the same thing that a lot of my ladies, they sometimes just need to be talking to the other ladies. They have that lady time. And sometimes we just want to have a place where there's no, I guess I'd say there's no risk of like flirting happening is like the best way to describe it. Like I want to be in an environment where everyone there, it's talking about something other than relationship stuff. And there's no possibility. Yeah. Like you said, sometimes you're with a group of guys, even all married guys have seen attractive women, the dynamic changes. And I do think that's unfortunate for business stuff, et cetera. But for personal life, yeah, I mean, you do need a time to kind of let out that energy where you can be your gross self. And like I said earlier, like it's not, it's when you can be at your worst and no one cares. Like when there's a lady there, nobody wants to be the first one to fart. Like that's definitely it. So I think that <laughs> very is very interesting, right? And there is this push in our culture to put men into women's spaces and women into men's spaces. And it's like, it's okay. Like my sister were Girl Scouts. I was Boy Scouts growing up. And I never thought that I was missing out any of the today because it's, 
just different stuff. Like you can join whatever club you like. But I always I do find it interesting that it's harder and harder. Like it almost becomes like, oh, I want to spend a night with just the guys almost has become a stigma. And I think that that's attached to, again, as I mentioned earlier, a great deal of men not being able to talk about their problems because can't do it at home, can't do it with your wife, can't do it with your kids because they don't get it because you have to be strong for them because if they find out daddy's worried, then the kids will freak out, of course, right? And then now you're not allowed because it seems like you're trying to keep women out when really you just want a place where you can talk about stuff where people understand it. I often see, I'm very interested in this on TikTok, whenever men talk about male depression, there's always a lot of comments like, don't be a wuss or making fun of it. Like I was very interested in, um, you know, I grew up watching Fresh Prince of Air. I watched Will Smith. He had some re- something really horrible happen to him on his wife's TV show. Like, like mm. oh, I've been doing horrible stuff to you for years and years. And it became a meme. So we have this culture yeah. where if a man has something bad happen to him, and even if he just flickers, right? He didn't even cry or anything. He just looked upset, which he should have. Like, it was a very, I mean, in addition to something bad happening that you want, wife wants to use it to grow her TV show or YouTube show, whatever it is. I don't know that show, but it's like you become a meme if you show any weakness, if you shed a tear, anything can happen to you, then everyone acts like you should never show any weakness. And I think this, especially this time where there's a lot of people coming out of the military, men and women, they can't talk about these things. I think we've become a society where we connect because there's, I think maybe it's because there's so many TV shows about serial killers that we think that depression is the same thing as multiple personality disorders. Like, oh, I'm a little bit sad. <laughs> how long can you start killing? Like, I think, I, I wonder if that's yeah. it. And this is something that very interests me. You know, I went through a lot of depression. I've written two books on it when I was younger and I dealt with it in very specific ways. But then sometimes, you know, especially these days, if you've seen a tragedy, I think that's a much higher level challenge. You know, like one of my friends was in the military and he was a sole survivor from a, a battle. You know, it's like, hmm. how do you talk about that? He can't talk to me about it. I don't know what that's like. And I have things that I've been through recently that nobody will ever understand who wasn't there. And so how can we kind of as a society and as men and women start to create spaces where people can talk about things that's healthy and kind of understand that it's not about exclusion, that it's about sometimes I just need a place to talk about stuff that other people who will understand a little bit more that are that kind of thing. Yes, that's a great point to bring up there. And I'm just going to be a bit corny here and use a Gandhi quote uh, when he said, be the change you want to see in the world, right? That's what he said. And what I mean by this, especially in this case, is just be there for your friends, for example. And of course, if you have a a guy who is a sole survivor of a battle, obviously he will have a tough time talking about this because there is like very heavy emotions involved in that. But sometimes it's just enough to be there, you know, and just be with him and just have a drink. Maybe not even talk about that. Just you too, for example. Not any, not even other guys. And I think there is a lot of, yeah, you, you said it yourself, there are a lot of social stigmas for men to not even cry, for example, um, because that's weak, or even have some emotions at all. And I think this is weird because humans are just emotional creatures. We all have emotions, and these are very powerful. But for men, we just need to learn how to I wouldn't even say suppress. Suppressing is absolutely wrong. You need to learn how to pass them, that you understand, okay, right now in the situation, my family needs me right now. Currently, I cannot deal with these emotions, but I will do so in like two, three days or whatever. And one way I like, for example, is especially today in these days with the online therapists, 
they are very affordable and you can just have like a, like we have on the podcast a, a talk with some some guy over video chat and he's a stranger so you can be completely open because he knows nothing about your past or whatever or has no like your friend no emotions involved in things that happened so you can just talk to him and tell him exactly what you feel i do this for example myself However, there's another stigma about therapy also. I mean, in the States, it's a bit better, I think. But in other countries, this is, for example, in my country over here, it's frowned upon. If you have therapy, you have issues with like a mental serial killer or whatever. And these are these social stigmas. But you got to, this is where I come back to the quote, you have to be the force that changes these things. If you want to change your or want to better your mental health, then you will need to look into this. There will no, nobody will wake up one day and tell you, okay, you've got to fix that. And it's also part in, in my book or in the other book. I talk about that. Regardless of what happened to you, it might not be your fault, but it's 100% your responsibility to fix it because nobody will come up one day and try to fix your life. Like if you have a podcast, for example, or you find a book, this is potentially the closest you will ever come to that someone else thinks or feels about your issues, but you still need to take the action. So I think the best way is to look at other, there are some successful men, for example, John Peterson. I'm sure you're aware of this guy. He, for example, cried in public, right? And he's seen as a very masculine, successful guy. So there are some examples of great men who are able to show emotion but still be somewhat successful with it even though i mean he gets a lot of hate because he's controversial i get it but you will have to develop that thick skin and you do this by talking to someone about your issues be it your therapist for example or a guy friend but you usually have to talk about these these tough topics with just like on a bilateral um scenario like if the other guys around there's always this kind of group dynamic that you need to one-up each other that's just like a man's thing so in our society especially at least in america there seem to be two ends of the spectrum there's the people that go to therapy and tell everyone kind of like i've never <laughs> met someone who's a vegetarian that didn't tell me and then the other end of the spectrum is if i need therapy something's wrong it's an admission of fault it's like a confession yeah. And I know that in certain professions, if you have to go to the doctor, you have to go to therapy, they immediately, it affects your career forever. Like if you're a police officer or military, they punish you. And so that's why people don't get therapy because it's like, oh, I'm going to yes. get pulled off duty or lose my job. And that's a real thing. And that's very tricky. Like no one wants a depressed air traffic controller, which I understand. But then it kind of seems like you wait to get help too long. It seems like my experience, most people... Again, there's two spectrums. There's people that, I know people that get marriage counseling and they've only been dating for like a month. And I'm like, well, that seems very quick. But then the, yeah. most people wait for that type of therapy until I, I don't know if I want to say the word it's too late, but they wait until the problem has gotten really big because there's this part of us that I think as a culture, we don't know how to assess when I need help and we don't know how to assess the right way to do it because we're so afraid of saying, if I say I need help, it means something's broken and it's an emission of weakness. It's okay to say, look, I got cancer because everyone knows it's not your fault. But if you're depressed, well, maybe it's your fault. And I think that's the hurdle that's really hard. And that's kind of what I saw in your book and I really wanted to dive into. Like, I totally understand the importance of men's spaces and that's really good. But I think that when I see how hard it is for men, because what's interesting to me is when we talk about men having higher suicide rates, 
there's a huge number of people that go, well, that's not that important. And I think that is really tough because I think it, I think it is. Now I had a friend. Okay. I went through this. I had a friend. We were at a party hanging out. I went home, went to sleep. He went home and hung himself. And I had no idea what was mm-hmm. coming. I was the last person he talked to at the party. And that's a real thing. I never tell anyone that story, but I think it's really important to know that it's like, I, my thought is not what a weak guy. My thought is, what did I do wrong? Why couldn't he have told me? We weren't that close of friends. He was really good friends with one of my best friends. I just knew him a little bit, but I was like, we were hanging out. If you had just told me, I would have done anything. And I think that's the thing. Even when someone is ready to do it, I mean, it was like 10 minutes later. It wasn't like he went home and thought about it. He walked home and immediately did it. Why in our society and how can we create, we talk about being the change you need, how can we create an environment as individuals where people know that if they're in a bad space, they can tell us? Well, that's a very, very powerful story there. But first of all, I would, I would really say that it's not your fault um, because I don't think if someone is so deep into these thoughts and is literally thinking about doing it and does it 10 minutes later, I don't think you could have actually said something at that point that would have changed it. Maybe, but it's already very far down that end if you're already like doing it 10 minutes later. The help should have come earlier, and but you didn't know, of course, right? And this is the issue. Um, if you look at people, in most cases, you just don't know what's going on in the head, right? And what they're thinking about and the issues they have. So I think, actually, I've been doing this for years now, even though people don't always like it, is you just ask them directly how they feel, not how they're doing, not keeping up with the Joneses. Nobody cares. Just how do they feel on a daily basis about their life? And especially with men, this is also a difficult topic because um, like, if you're in a group of men, most likely you will get, what kind of a pussy question is that? It's usually what you then get or some shit like that, because people, especially men, are raised to try to be so tough and never talk about the issues. As I mentioned, the burden of performance. But we are all just human, right? And I think the best way is to just observe people a little bit. Now we all are usually sitting in our own head all the time, minding our own business, even if we're with friends. And especially if you look at these days when people actually listen to reply and then not to understand, then you see immediately when someone is talking, someone else is already formulating his next own story he's trying to, to put out there. And he doesn't even really listen to what that person is saying because there was some famous psychotherapist. He said, most people tell you actually directly how they feel on a daily basis. You just don't listen. We all rarely listen to that. Because we are so focused on the story itself, not how the person feels about it, or getting our own story out, that we overlook that. So the best thing, what I tell people all the time also in coaching is, just listen exactly to your wife, for example, or your, your children even, or the other people, your friends. Just look at how they, you can actually see how they feel when they tell you something. Is there some sort of, sadness or dark tone within that so some sort of cynical even and then you've got to dig a little bit and people don't like this so you got to get some some backlash it's the same with unsolicited advice which is what i also do sometimes but people don't like it at all 
<laughs> but um, it's powerful and you got to do it because maybe it just makes him think. And maybe that has already solved the issues. But there's one more thing because you mentioned the, the, the therapy being like frowned upon. This always is also a social thing I don't quite understand because we we go regularly to like a regular doctor, right? To check our body and our physique and all of this. But if it's about mental health, that is for some reason weird if we do that. Because for me, therapy is really just the same thing. It's just having a, a check about your mind, how you feel and how you operate. That's all you do. Because if you really go there with a problem, then there is already something already happened. I like to see therapy as an ongoing thing, even if you feel fine. It's just to, to check back with, with the doctor, to have a regular check about your mind and your mental health. Yeah, pretty much. And yes, this is an issue for some companies you work with, but I don't know exactly how far their, their possibilities go if you do this on some sort of online coaching session or whatever. I mean, there are websites where you can do it with licensed therapists. I guess they have potentially some way to find out that you are on there. I don't know. But this is what I would try instead of going to an actual therapist in your city or whatever. Yeah, that's really interesting. Unfortunately, when you do it online, it's when you go through your insurance. If your insurance is through your company, then your company finds out because they get the bill. That's what no. a lot of the challenges. That's how it happens. But I want to dive into because you actually said something I think is really very interesting to me. The idea, because we get... Like you're supposed to go to the dentist every six months. You're supposed to see your doctor yeah. once a year to get that annual checkup. We don't have the annual checkup mindset for mental health. And I think that's a very interesting idea because it's like that would shift the mindset from I'm going to the therapist because something's wrong to I'm going to the therapist because it's my annual thing. And if you can then, I think that would move a lot of the stigma. So I think you've got into something very interesting because if you say right now, if I say to you, hey man, I'm going to therapy, you're immediately going to go, what's wrong? Right? That's yes. our first thought. Right. But if we shift the mindset to oh, it's my annual checkup, I have to do it, you know, because they force like, for example, if a police officer is in a shooting, they have to do a certain amount of therapy before I can go back to work because they know even if it's totally OK, you had to shoot at someone. It's a big deal. You have to deal with it. Same thing for England. If you're a train driver in England and someone jumps in front of your train, you have to get therapy. It's not optional. Yeah. So I think it's those things are they're trying to put good structures in place. But it is very challenging. It's interesting because I have been, I have noticed there's this advent of more and more because they run ads on all the podcasts I listen to of some options for online therapy, which are mm -hmm. very interesting. And they are moving towards more affordability. And we've certainly, in my family, done more and more telehealth over the last two years for other stuff. Where instead of going to the doctor, we just send a picture and get a diagnosis. It's like, wow, I wish I could have done this my whole life. Yeah. But I want to dive, slide a step back again and talk about, because you mentioned that you try to detect if something's wrong. And I know that I've been in situations where someone was sending me signals and I missed them. They mm -hmm. even said, oh, I think I've got something going on. And I didn't respond quickly enough and it kind of got bigger. And that was my fault for not noticing it. So I think we all have these. It's not like about my guilt about it, but I'm trying to learn. So let's say we detect or someone says something. What should we do in those particular situations? So I know, for example, I've talked to some really high level therapists that if someone talks about they're going to commit suicide, you have to immediately go like to level one help. You have to get a professional. You have to call a suicide helpline. You have to go to the big thing because it's, you know, because I've seen situations where someone says something like on a social media platform, people are like, no, you're great. Everything's okay. We're all your friends here. And it's like, that's not the right answer <laughs> because they're at a place that they're so low. They need, a, they need a, an expert. And yes. I totally get that. Okay. So, but I think that's really a hard conversation. It's kind of like when your friend is drunk and you say, give me the keys. 
It's like mm. such an, I've had to do that. And it's horrible. It's such yes. a horrible situation because they make it so uncomfortable. But exactly that is like, what do we do? If so, someone says to you like, hey, I'm in a really dark place. What do we do besides? And you know, so because sometimes people come to me and there's a level of depression that you can talk to your friends about. It's not a big deal. Okay, when I was younger and I had depression, I would hang out with my friends. I'm like, hey, I'm having depression. I know if I'm alone, it will get worse. I know that's a big part of how depression works for me. And so I'd say, hey, let's go out. I used to have this friend Jenks in London and he loved when I would get depression because I would say, Jenks, I've got depression. I need you. And he, I was like, we're going to the arcade. We're going to the movies. We're going to the batting cage. I'm paying for everything. He was like, this is amazing. So whenever I would get depression, we would have an amazing day. I would pay for everything because he's helping me. And he loved when I had depression because he would get to have an amazing day. It worked for both of us. And so that was one of the best ways I dealt with it is that I would tell someone immediately and then we would take action. But I'm discovering now later in life that, you know, and there, but there's a level where that's not enough, where you have something serious, where it's a higher level of depression, it's more clinical when you need an actual therapist or someone who this is what they do. They're, this is their expertise. So how do you know when you're at that level? And if you have a friend, more importantly, if you have a friend who detects someone who's at that level, what do you do? What is the right action steps? If you realize, hey, talking isn't making any difference. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm not a licensed therapist, so I'm not 100% sure I'm going to give the right answer to this question. I'm going to make this clear because, yeah, it's just my personal opinion. And I think when someone says this, for example, that they are in a very dark place and even thinking about like suicide, for example, or just like mentioning it in a, in a winged sentence, I'm talking about this topic. I don't think, as you said, that talking about it from your perspective as a just friend or guy friend, does really change that. But they also, if you tell them, oh, dude, you got to get to the suicide hotline, whatever, and talk about this, that usually doesn't do anything either. I think, and this is what I would do, like I would ring them up without him knowing and tell, tell them about it and somehow get this connection going that he has to talk to them or someone comes around or whatever. I don't know. Because at that point, reasoning with that person isn't really working anymore because he's not operating from his rational mind. And it's only feelings, feeling depressed and feeling bad about it. And you cannot rationalize with feelings. You just can't because they don't make sense in most cases. And then I think you have to be that guy and you will most likely get a bunch of shit for that, that you actually do this behind his back. But you have the best intent in mind. And this is what I would do. I don't know if that's the right cause of action. I'm going to be honest with you there. But if it's that, that far down the line, this is what I would do. So that's interesting to me. That happened to a friend of mine. I didn't do it to him, but he was in a really dark place and he disappeared. And mm. he got, it's called sectioned in England, basically. You can put someone in, obviously you shouldn't do unless they really have a problem, for 24 or 72 hours. You can say, look, I think my friend's going to do something. And they'll put them into like a mental hospital and they kind of have to, and it's like, I guess you have to talk your way out of it, right? You have to show that you're getting better. You don't, you're kind of dealing with it or you have to face issues head on. That's a tough thing to do. It's kind of a friendship ender for sure. Like if someone sectioned me, I don't know. But my friend was so, he came out the other side really happy. I think he was ended up, couple of weeks at a facility or whatever. And he was, he'd never talked to me about his depression before, but afterwards that's all he wanted to talk about, which is fine. But I think it is really challenging. I think the big issue is that in our society, like we know what to do if we hear a gunshot or see a fire, we know what number to call, but we don't talk about, because again, most, most projections of mental health in our society are negative. Like if you say yeah. I have a problem, it means like, 
It seems like I feel like we have in our society the idea that mental health can't be cured. I have depression. It's forever. I remember, um, and it's the same for women as well. There's a whole thing mm-hmm. of postpartum depression, which I don't understand because I, it's a women only thing because having a baby, we don't do it. So it's, again, that's a women only space. And I've seen situations where a woman talks about it and everyone is like, what's wrong with you? Why you're so weak? And it's like, well, I could never, because I've never had a kid, just like my friend who was in battle, I don't understand those things. So, but I can understand, it's unfortunate that it happens to men and women when we talk about this issue. So we don't have, how can we, I guess, create a culture where it's okay to number one, we know, or we know what to do if someone has a problem. We don't really know what to do. Like you said, it's like, do I call a suicide hotline for my friend and then hand him the phone? Can't even imagine how uncomfortable that would be. But if that's what it takes, I would have done it, right? It's like figuring it out. I think that we have such a lack of education because we can't talk about it. Because every time you see depression on television, it's a murder TV show. You never see it around someone gets better. It's always sadder, 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 sadder. Or they make television shows that like the suicide happens and then they glorify it or that's just like trying to create your emotions. And it should be really about what can we figure out? you know, and what is missing. Cause I think a lot of it is societal. Unfortunately, I hate to blame society for stuff, but we live in a culture oh, where yeah, we don't talk yeah, about stuff. <laughs> this is one of the things where it's like, we don't talk about it. Like this, I'm very uncomfortable right now. It was a very uncomfortable conversation for me. I didn't know this is a way that direction was going to go. I kind of thought of it before the call. And it's like, these are really hard things to talk about because there's a very good chance that this episode gets like a real negative reaction, a ton of negative replies and all that stuff. Because it's like, don't talk about men's issues. Don't talk about mental health that we're supposed to pretend it doesn't happen. And because I come from a place where a lot of people in the military, a lot of my friends, there's this worry that another person will do it because it's very common, you know, men post-military, and you know, women post-military as well. It's a higher ratio, right? Like they're more likely to do it. And so I kind of worry about those things. So I think it's a really legitimate thing to talk about. It's just unfortunate that there's this heavy stigma that says, you can't talk about men's issues. You can't talk about women's issues. You can't talk about mental health for anyone. But I love your idea of switching it to the idea of, you know, it's just part of it. Like you're expected to get a checkup. You're yeah. expected to get an audit from a therapist. I do struggle. One of the things I struggle with, especially with marriage therapists, is they never want to talk about their results. Because I'm always like, what percentage of people who come to you stay together? I always want to know that because my parents went to the best marriage counselor in town. And then they went to the best divorce lawyers in town. Mm-hmm. So I always wonder, I always wonder that because I have written this on my books. And I don't, there are certain types of, I think people sometimes go to therapy for issues I'm not so sure about, or they jump the gun on it, or they think marriage counseling can solve every problem. And I think especially in group people therapy, and this is something I'd love to get your thought on, a lot of what you do is just say all the other things the other person did that annoys you. And so you're kind of bringing them back to life. So one of the things is that I will think about is that you it becomes dwelling or lingering, where it's like, you ever sometimes people go into a session, they go, I didn't even realize I was mad at you about that. And it's like, well, maybe you weren't until you went into that session. So that type of therapy I worry about in relationships specifically, where it's focused on, well, let's list our grievances. And in the same way, you know, I went to therapy as a child when I was younger, um, like as young as maybe six or seven. And it is, it, it can end up becoming performative, at least for me, which is where you go, oh, this person wants to hear stuff. So I got to create it. I think that's another problem. Maybe that one is just mm-hmm. me, but that's another thing where you're like, oh, this person 
really wants to hear the good stuff. So I need to come up with new good stuff every week. I certainly am totally guilty of doing that. I was quite young. You know, Katie, you're just trying to do what you think that adults want. You're trying to figure it out. But I do think that we have this really complicated issue that is very hard to talk about. And I think that there can be move for societal change. And you're exactly right that it does start with doing things that are hard, like this conversation, like putting out this episode, like really being willing to talk about things and kind of creating that environment. And I find it, you know, very interesting because there is this two separation. There's people that like don't care. And there's people that are really proactive. There doesn't seem to be much middle, unfortunately. People who are like mm-hmm. a little bit interested and want to make the world a better place and understanding that it's kind of a big deal. I remember at the start of the lockdown, one of my friends was like, oh, I've had eight of my friends die. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of COVID deaths. She was like, no, they were all suicides. I was like, that is a lot. And I know that there was cool. a big spike because we're all trapped at home. We can't get access to our health. We can't get access to our friends. And it's more depressing to be trapped. Totally understand that. Totally reasonable. And even with that happening, still no one talks about the suicides. No one talks about those things where people need that help. So I know we've been talking for quite a while and I don't want to burn up all your time. I do appreciate this. So and we'll talk, I want to go to one last issue after this, but what's your advice? Like, what do you think people who are watching this episode, what's the first or listening to this episode, what can they do right now to make that little bit of societal change? How can they be a little bit of the change they want to see? Oh, yeah. So I think... I don't want to get too esoteric, but I do think that the reality is an extension of your mind, in my opinion. That means how your own mind is set up and how your mental health is developed shapes how your reality unfolds for you, even if it's just by the habits you do because of it. So I think you always, always need to start with yourself. That means I would recommend for anyone who can do it, who doesn't get fired immediately, or at least look into it, get yourself mental health therapy. And just do it as you said, like like a dentist appointment you do every now and then. I mean, there are websites you can do it like on a monthly basis. I, for example, do it every week. I have every week a 45-minute call with my therapist. And um, sometimes there isn't even something new to talk about. You're just chit-chatting. But that still helps me a lot because I know I can talk about everything with this guy. There is no, no, no stigmas or anything uh, involved in that. And But you can start with a month like in the beginning, that should be enough. And just treat it as it, yeah, just a checkup, a mental checkup. You don't tell yourself you have a problem just to to stay sane, to put it that way. And I think this is the best course of action we can all do. And this, it's, as I said, it's not, not even expensive. I think it's like the one I have, for example, is 50 bucks a week, I think. I think that's affordable for most people. Obviously, insurances don't pay that and you don't even want them to, to know about it. So you have to pay this from your own money. But yeah, Jonathan has all the infos on how to make more money. <laughs> so that should be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it reminds me of something my, friend, my best friend said in college one time. He said, uh, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy you air conditioning, pay for your kids to go to a good school, it can buy you a front yard. I guess he really wanted a front yard and it can buy you like you can afford the therapy you need or access to these things so i think that it does tie together because i do think that there's also a huge amount of depression in our industry in the solopreneur industry because you are not around other people there's um when you shift from working in an office to being by yourself all the time there are things that you're used to and you, just, you can go a week without talking to another person and you don't realize how important that kind of communication is i have this i can be honest about this i have this ability to 
not leave my house for weeks without realizing it because I'm so diving into a project. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, my wife and kids are like, let's go out and we go to the beach or the pool at least a couple of times a week. That's why we live on the small island. But it's very easy to fall into that. And you don't realize that you have to kind of maintain a balance. So you kind of have to take care of your physical health, your mental health, and then your wealth, like these three parts of your life. And the wealth gives you that access to it, the ability to afford these things without needing to rely on your insurance, the ability to have, okay, I'm not gonna lose my job if people find out about this stuff because I have this level of control, these other revenue streams. And that's why I'm such a believer in developing your own revenue streams so that you have access to what you need. So that if you need to do other things, whether it's pay for emergency medical care, which I've had to do, or whether it's get access to this type of help without having to go through your insurance provider, I think those things are really, really valuable. And so that's why I think it's so good for people to learn how to build up these secondary revenue streams so they have this buffer because bad things are going to happen. The last thing I want to talk about is you have a new book coming out that you've been working on. I'd like to hear a little bit about that and where people can find out more about you and kind of get to know more about what you're teaching and working on. Oh, yeah. So the next is actually a working title. I haven't decided on the end title yet. For right now, it's called Alpha Jesus (laughs) because I find this to be quite funny. It is sort of the extension of my existing books where I talked about masculinity and what you should do as a man to feel happy about your life and your needs and get them met and all of this. And also shadow work is also a big part, like your deepest desires and like getting in tune with them. And this book will be more about, because I think the inevitable outcome of any sort of self-improvement you have, especially around your masculinity, is at least in part a little bit of spirituality. And I don't mean religion, I mean spirituality. That just means you have a higher calling you want to achieve, whatever this might be. And it doesn't have to change like society as a whole, but it's just something that that drives you every day, a passion, a purpose you want to achieve. So this book touches a lot on how your subconscious mind operates because that's a big thing for me. And it's not just habits, but it's also how it creates your reality and how you as a man sort of have this it is driving force, giving from the universe or God, whatever label you want to use. It doesn't really matter to me. But it's just the, the basic idea of, this is why I call it the Alpha Jesus, the masculinity and also the spirituality part, which will then help you to gain greater insight in your life as a whole and the people within it. And this also a big thing I tackle in there also is um, to just talk, yeah, to just have more, more guy friends and be around with them and talk with them about issues. Which is also what I wanted to add. If you don't or if you can't afford that therapist, then at least meet with one of your guy friends, not the whole group, just one for a drink and just talk about things and make it, if you don't want to be open about it directly, just ask, how do you think about this and that? What is your opinion on this? And then just sort of cover it a little bit if you cannot be that open, because I know there are many fears involved. So there's also this. And how men need these groups to be together and change these masculine energies and all of this. So that will be the the main focus of that book. And you can find it on selfconquering.com. That is my website. There's also my blog and all the other stuff. I don't have a release date yet, but it is, yeah, pretty far. I would say it's already at 7%-ish. Okay, that's great. So everyone, you can find out more about Alexander. We talked about masculine issues, dealing with depression, dealing with how to talk about tough issues at selfconquering.com. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been an amazing episode. I know it's kind of a deep one. I hope people find a lot of value from this. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. I would love to talk about this topic um, deeper and more in the future because I think it's very, very important, especially for men. And um, by the way, I don't want to neglect the girls. They have all their own issues in the society. They are usually just different. But women also don't have it easy. I'm not going to say that at all. But my main focus is the guys. So, um, yeah, definitely a topic we need to talk more about. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Making that first dollar online doesn't have to be daunting. I've got you covered. Get my free guide on how to make your first $1,000 online right now at servermaster.com forward slash 1K.